When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back for another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. Manny Navarro here, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Tuesday, February 7th, around 2 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we've got a special guest on, a a man who uh, we had on the show last year, right when Mario Cristobal was first hired, who knows the University of Miami as well as anyone. Uh, That would be The Athletic's Bruce Feldman, my colleague, Bruce. Uh, obviously a busy time for Mario Cristobal, just a year in to his job, having to replace his two coordinators. We'll get to the hires and, and kind of what we're hearing on, on those fronts and, and the latest news involving Lance Guidry. But I wanted to first just get your impression of what did you think of Mario's first season and the fact that literally we're, we're here in the middle of having to replace two coordinators just after one year? So on one hand, the recruiting part went, seems to be going well, right? So I think the offensive line has been a significant upgrade and what it sounds like talent-wise, what they're going to have, certainly with a couple of five stars coming in. You have a big guard transfer coming in from Alabama, a really highly regarded center coming in from UCL. I think those are key pieces. The part where on the field was... I mean, there's no sugar cone. It was dreadful. You know, whether it was a middle Tennessee game, you know, they got shelled on defense. The offense was a mess. I, I went down there and I said, you know, we were out at one of the practices together. I think it was their first padded practice in August. And it was the first time I'd been down there in a while. I was like, wow, they are really limited skill talent wise. The receiving core. And I think Restepa was, was there, but like, and, you know, he's their most reliable guy. And then he got hurt, but they were, they were really mediocre even with him. Right. And the running back room was shaky. And then they had a bunch of injuries. Um, O-line hasn't been good at Miami for a long time. So you looked at that and go, man, they're going to, they're going to struggle. Right. Um, I thought they did a better job of taking transfers on defense than they did on offense. And, you know, it was worse than I thought. I think it was worse than everybody thought it was going to be. So here we are, you know, the recruiting piece, which it's Mario. I expected it to be really, really strong. And I think for that part, it's been good. Now we got to see what they're going to do post spring in that portal window, especially with skill guys. Yeah, I mean, you're counting to some degree on two freshman running backs coming in to make a splash because it's just, it's not strong there right now. Receiving, not it's just not good. Um, and it seems like they need to add still some pieces on the D-line. So I think at least now Lance Guidry's here. You know what they're going to be on defense to a large degree. We can get into some of the staff moves that we think that may happen subsequent on that side of the ball. But offensively, you know, Mario's still working through who he's going to hire. So now you not only have a new O.C., you have a you know the quarterback coach is gone, the receivers coach who was the OC is gone, and that you know that's where they need a lot of help. And um, so you know everything I've heard from there, and you and I have obviously talked a lot offline. It's rocky right now in inside that building. You know the one thing, and I don't want to answer too many questions. You know, like at once, but like. Everything I've heard is, you know, there's a lot of dead weight on the staff right now. Mario has to sort through and that's from people there. And and I'm interested to see how it goes going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the same impression, uh, you know, talking to a few people inside the building here just in the last couple of weeks of 
like you said, dead weight or, 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 or guys that just didn't live up to the expectations maybe that, that Mario had for them when he brought them in. And, and I know he takes a long time. He vets guys. This is sort of a long process. Everybody sort of makes com their commentary what, what takes so long with Mario. But I think personally, I feel like being on the West Coast – uh, being sort of removed from Miami for a while. Let's not forget. I mean, he was at Alabama before that, and and you know he was only briefly here with with uh, I think Al Golden for like a month before he left for Alabama. He hadn't been around the program, hadn't really seen what what had happened, and I think he kind of stepped in and was surprised by some of the holes that they had talent wise, um, and and sort of just had a rough rough first year. Uh, I think, like you said, he's done a phenomenal job recruiting. I think they're going to continue to add guys through the transfer portal. I know they are. They're looking for two elite outside wide receivers that they're hoping, as as we know now, uh, you know, guy, guys can always be encouraged to enter the transfer portal, right? Uh, and, and I think defensive tackle still a position they'll address. I think safety. But, you know, from a roster perspective, I think at their best, and, and I've had this conversation with a few people, I think they're an eight-win team next year. Um, you know, and, 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 and probably not more than that, just because they don't have the kind of depth that you need at certain position. You have a lot of young guys and as you mentioned, playmakers, you, you need them to win games. So uh, I, a lot of hurdles for them. I think an eight win season will be good. I think that'll be sort of seen as a victory, at least for recruits. I think that'll help them with a lot of the 2024 kids that they're after, especially here locally. They've got some elite five-star receivers. There's always elite, uh, receivers here in South Florida that, that, you know, you can you can try and go and get, but I think they've got to show them uh, that they can score points and not be dreadful uh, as they were under Josh Gaddis. So uh, all, all important moves, which is really what affects, I think, this OC hire, right? He's got to find a guy who relates better, I think, to some of the players maybe than Josh Gaddis did. I think at times um, my impression from what I heard was, you know, th it was a little too explosive. He was a little too honest and, and hurt some feelings of guys, I think, both on the staff and players in the room and and when that happens you can tune people out so i think we'll, we'll talk about gidry in a moment but let's start with offense because that's really where i think the biggest uh hurdles are for mario what are you sort of hearing i, I mean there's been names reported doug nussmeyer obviously formerly of the uh, of the cowboys who coached with mario at alabama i think he's i think he's a legit guy in this uh jason candle you and i reported his name last year in a story we did as, as a guy who could potentially uh you know be be somebody Mario really wants here. Um, and there's some other names, but I guess what's your impression of, of that? Let's start with with offensive coordinator. Yeah, this is more of the wild card piece of it. Look, I, I think what was challenging was Gaddis was a, turned out to be a bad fit there. Like he and, you know, you'd hear things, the the offense, the, the offense coordinator was coming in here, but you don't get to pick your old line guy. You don't get to pick basically anybody. Right. And so everything I had heard was that he and Frank Ponce, the quarterback coach did not mesh at all. It was rough. As we talked about some of the issues of what are you, what are you going to walk into now if you're the offensive coordinator? Um, you know, Stu and I, uh, Stu Mandel and I, in our on our Audible episode last week, talked some about this. Where, in terms of, as, as you said, uh, Manny, Mario's process of hiring is beyond meticulous, and I think it is it is challenging for a lot of guys who are in that process, who are part of it. And I think, you know, like I think he will land on some good guys. But I think ultimately it's like, how do they fit, right? Because uh, from everything I've heard, there's a bunch of guys who are there now who really don't fit with what Mario expects, whether that's what he expects work ethic-wise, recruiting-wise, you know, a variety of things. There are some mismatch parts right there. And I think, um, you know, and you and I have talked about this some offline is – I think in terms of what he's expecting, you know, it's, are you going to, you know, so in some ways the Oregon guys, you know, they can understand what Mario was looking for, but they may not fit in Miami. Right. I right. mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on that, you know, they may not fit of what he's looking for in Miami. They may not fit culturally around there as much. I just think that some guys have big names, but they may not be doing the work that you'd expect them or they need them to do right now. And so um, I would not be surprised to see more staff shake up. But in terms of the offensive side of the ball, you know, short of, you know, I, I think he he leans on Alex Mirabal. I know those guys have had some hard conversations, 
but that's the one certainty of the guy I would, I would, you know, would expect to be back. I don't know how much flexibility a new offensive coordinator is going to have. Will that guy now be the guy who runs the quarterback room? That's usually how it works. It wasn't going to be that way with Josh Gaddis. And I think that will be interesting. Doug Nussmeyer has been a really good quarterbacks guy throughout his career, obviously played it at a high level in the NFL and he, you know, he's been through the Saban world and he and Mario know each other in terms of if Nussmeyer wants to come back to the college game. I think he was with the Cowboys for five or six years. We'll see what, you know, he he has had some opportunities or at least is in the mix for some NFL coordinator jobs as well. Um, you mentioned Jason Candle. From what I had heard, there was it maybe looked like it was trending that way late last week. And then I don't know if things have cooled from, you know, his side or either side. I'm not sure, you know, if that's going to happen at this point. Um, there's some other names of some, you know, well-regarded group of five coordinators that I know who I think Mario is, is looking at and considering. Um, again, it comes back to fit. I think it comes back to what Mario expects from them and also how those guys might fit in running the offense at Miami. I mean, this is there's a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle piece to this. And I'm curious to see, you know, if Doug Nussmeyer ends up being the guy, I think that's a really solid hire for a for an offense that had a lot of dysfunction last year. You know, I think what could be key for Miami is do you have somebody who expects what the head coach is looking for and also can really run the show? Because right now, I feel like that was absent last year. Um, and I don't think that was, you know, as much Josh Gaddis. I think it was everything around him. You know, it was like a lot of dysfunction there. And, you know, going forward, again, if it's Doug Nussmeyer, I, I think – that would be a solid hire just because he would bring stability and he knows what he's doing. Um, I, I know that's probably not a splashy hire for a lot of, you know, there could be a group of five guys who probably statistically put up bigger numbers at where at recent history, you know, when Doug Nussmeyer was at Alabama, I think you were running Nick Saban's offense. And at the time, Nick Saban wanted a certain thing and he was not, he was like, you know, looking to, he knew he was going to win with defense. I think things evolved under Saban over time there, but it wasn't that way 10 years ago. So I know this, Nussmeyer is really good with quarterbacks. I mean, you've seen his track record with it. I think that's solid. Again, I don't know if he wants to come back to, to college football, but we'll see where Mario lands with this. Yeah, it's an interesting, like you said, it's the wild card because I think we really, I think a lot of eggs were put into the candle basket and and, and that's who he probably really wanted. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened yet. And so it, he might have to pivot elsewhere. And uh, and so, there, like you said, there's other names, there's other guys that, that he likes. And, and Mario has a long list. We know that he has a list of guys that he likes. And, and when he went through this process last year with Gaddis, I mean, Gaddis really wasn't his first choice either. I mean, this was sort of a... Hey, you approach guys, you see if it, if the if the fit is right, and then they have questions too. So it, it's not always just a perfect marriage. Yeah, Manny, and I don't even know. Like I've known Mario for twenty five years. I don't know who I would say who I would categorize as who his first choice was, mm -hmm. because there are times, and this is the part of the process where go back to his Oregon OC hire, where he landed with Joe Moorhead. From people who were involved in that process, there were people who thought Joe Moorhead. Did not. And I like Joe Moorhead a lot and he did a good job there, but he was not the one who kind of blew everybody away in the interview process. Right. A lot of people there expected Jed Fish to have gotten that job. And Mario ultimately ended up with with Joe Moorhead, who was probably a more, um, you know, was probably a more attractive name in terms of buzz because of what he had done at Penn State. Um and it worked out well. Now, look, Fish has turned out to be is, seems to be doing a really good job as a head coach at Arizona, turning that place around. But there were other guys that I know he was interested in. And as it related to last year, like there were guys I knew Mario was interested in. And I think they thought he was interested. And then the they was like, wait, am I in this? Am I I haven't heard anything in two weeks? And you end up what happens is 
you know, Kendall Bryles name surfaces. And then all of a sudden it gets leveraged into a bigger job. Was Mario really, is that the guy he really wanted to hire there? Mm -hmm. I have my doubts on that. I mean, there's other guys that I, you know, but it's like, oh, so-and-so was offered. Well, they were talked to seriously, but I think that's the part with his process where eventually these names get out because it plays out for a long time. You know, and what, you know, his agent has conversations with people and, and vets people, but ultimately does Mario look at that and go, okay, I'm going to look at their film. I'm going to see how I feel like they fit. And it doesn't always work. It obviously didn't work last year. There were time there were some other hires he, he had that didn't work out. And look, when he was at, at FIU, that he made a lot of really good hires of people nobody knew of at the time and they ended up going on to bigger things. So I'm curious to see what the next move is. I know we'll get to this in a minute, but like, I do think in terms of the guy he hired to run the defense, I actually think this is going to be an upgrade from what they just had with Kevin Steele. Um, because if you look at what on field Lance Gidry did a fantastic job at Marshall. I know from talking to Charles Huff, the head coach there, he, how good he was and what people think of him as a coach. You know, so um, Mario Mario got the Saban blessing on Kevin Steele and he pivoted and got him. Um, you know, I think you can ask your listeners how, you know, how well people thought it was. You know, they had more talent on that side of the ball and there were some, there was a lot of 40 point games and there was the Middle Tennessee game. You know, I mean, yeah, it was I don't. a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. so I think Lance Gidry to me, you know, will be a better defensive coordinator for Miami than Kevin Steele was. Yeah. I, we can get into Gidry uh, right now if you want. Um, look, Steele going to Alabama, I think, raised some eyebrows, right, from Alabama fans. I don't know if they necessarily thought of him as a first choice, but he, he was very experienced. And my impression was, you know, for what he did at Miami in the one season, I did see areas where they improved. Um, I, I thought, you know, uh, you, you look at the safety position, uh, Cam Kitchens was an All-American. He took a step forward. I thought they improved at linebacker. Uh, they got some better play out of guys that have been pretty pretty porous under Manny Diaz. I mean, Corey Flagg actually, I think his PFF grade in, increased pretty tremendously. It was actually respectable compared to what it was uh, the season before. So there were some improvements made on defense. But like you said, too many games where they were giving up over 40 points, too many explosive plays. Um, and I think, I mean, they went from, if you look at just like the, the stat, I would probably use as much as anything as yards per play in the right. ACC, they went from six to 13th. Now that's right. not all his fault, but like, I feel like on that side of the ball, they actually tried to upgrade talent a lot more than they did on offense. Again, I'm not saying this was all his fault, right? Um, but I'd be shocked if they were as bad on defense this year as mediocre as they were in year one for Mario. Yeah. I mean, I look again, I'm not saying it were great. I just said there were small little areas where I saw some improvement from individuals, guys that I thought took the next step. Now I, with, with Gidry, they may be ready to, 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 to play much better. Right. Um, I, I think first of all, he, what the success he had at Marshall was pretty astonishing. I didn't realize I didn't watch a lot of Marshall football. I know they beat Notre Dame earlier in the year. I watched a little bit of their bowl game victory, um, but really I didn't study Marshall and I'm sitting there looking at all these stats as preparing the story. And I'm like, wow, they're top 10 in this, they're top 10 in that. They're number uh, one, yeah. They're number one in third down. They're number yeah. three in yards per play. Um, he did a really, really good job. Now the kind of elephant in the room is, and you know, Lance Gidry has some personal baggage from a long time ago. And I think that probably prevented some other schools previously from looking at him. But I think that was like a dozen years ago, mm -hmm. uh, some of those issues. And so I think in terms of people are like, well, why was he at Marshall? And that was, I think that was part of it. Now look, Tulane just hired him, right. um, which is obviously, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like Tulane, not to compare Tulane and Miami, but as a private school with a, with a strong academic reputation, they ended up hiring him. Um, I think that Mario Cristobal has always liked him um, and has always been thought very highly of him. I knew Ed Ogeron really thought very highly of Gidry too. They both are Louisiana guys with Louisiana roots. Um, this is a guy who a lot of coaches think is a really good football coach. 
Yeah, and and I would say this, Mario, from what Max Olson, uh, our colleague at uh, at the Athletic, was telling me a little while ago. Apparently, Mario tried to hire him when he was at FIU, and I guess you had heard the same thing, right? It was right before yeah. Mario got fired. Uh, I think when when uh, Gidry was at Western Kentucky. So, obviously, there's there's a tie there. Mario's always had his eye on him. Um, looking at his defense, I, and again, I didn't watch a ton, but what what would you say are some of the trademarks maybe that you that you know? I know they put up good numbers, but is it a traditional four three? Does he is it, is it a mix of things? What do you know it's about? A, it's it's a really good mix of things, and I feel like they do a very good job of keeping quarterbacks kind of off balance, right? And if you look at at kind of what they've done now, first of all. I think what's been always really good is you see an aggressive and you're going to want to hear the, you know, those buzzwords. I mean, no defensive coordinator wants to be known as like a read and react guy, but I just feel like his guys are able to play fast. I think he's a really good teacher of what they're doing. Look, it sounds like from everything I heard, Kevin Steele was a good teacher of what they, what they were doing. I just think that in terms of, you know, it's how do you, how do you get it done? I know Mario did not want a three-three-five stack. You know, like Tony Gibson's a really good defense coordinator in the ACC. I think there's certain things Mario was looking for in terms of, and maybe things he was less comfortable with. But with with this guy, I feel like you are going to get a lot of the elements that Miami fans always want to see in a defense, and. You know, it's just I think it's just going to come at people maybe in a little bit of a different form. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, look, if, if he can get them to be a top 10 uh, scoring defense, uh, you know, in, in a year or two, I think Mario will feel pretty good about where the program is, considering how Manny Diaz had him back in 2017. Right. When they were one of the best in the country and winning 10 games, forcing all kinds of turnovers. He, you know, Gidry's defense did force a ton of turnovers last year. I think they were fifth uh, in the country. So. Uh, if he can get I think Miami it's confusing, it's really, I think it's confusing. Like Manny's very aggressive, you mm -hmm. know, still is at Penn state. I think it's what you see, you know, it's confusing quarterbacks. And I mm -hmm. think that's, they're really good. They were really hard to throw the football against. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's a, he's a back end guy. Um, and I think that'll, that'll fit well. I mean, Kevin Steele was too, but I think this guy is just, got a really good feel for for giving quarterbacks a, a hard time to get comfortable yeah and, and look at this point i mean there's nowhere to go but up after what we saw last season um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about um the situation in general at miami the fact that they're spending a lot of money i just got off the phone with somebody a little while ago who said that i think they've got two years left um on uh, the contract for gaddis i think he was making close to 1.5 million you know the old school Miami. <laughs> they wouldn't spend money like this back in the day, but they are, and they're helping Mario through the process early on. I, I think they're for real. I think this is going to continue. They're going to support Mario for as long as they can financially, but are you a believer that Mario has all 10 years to get this right? Um, I think he has a – I think 10 years is a long, long time mm -hmm. for anything in college football. So I, I wouldn't – look at it through that prism. I think he has, I think he has enough of, of uh, I'm looking at a pencil. I think he has an, he has a full eraser on, on top of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I don't think they want to hit the reset button two years from now again. Right. Um, I think I would expect, you know, this is something you and I've talked a little bit about, you know, look, does Jason Taylor end up on the field as a defensive line coach? Does what do they do with, with big Joe who came with him from Oregon? He's getting paid a lot of money too. And I think he has a three-year deal. Um, I think there are some other position coaches who are very well compensated yeah. who I wouldn't be surprised if they would like to see move on um, because of their contract situation. I'm not sure they will. So now what do you do with them? This gets into the dead weight thing a little bit. Right. It's not to say everybody off the field is dead weight either. I just think there's definitely some challenges he's going to have to navigate. I think this was a big piece of getting Lance Gidry hired. It's going to be a critical piece of what happens with the OC. It's not just to say that it's just a coordinator's thing. Right. I wouldn't, you know, you and I, again, this is another thing we've talked about a lot is like, yeah, how are they as recruiters? Like Gidry, according to Huff, is a really, really good recruiter and really good evaluator. Ultimately, though, Mario is the best recruiter he's going to have. And 
I think so much of it is going to be, you know, what is the product on the field start to look like? It's going to be hard to get receivers to transfer to Miami if the offense is sputtering and there isn't an identity to it, right? I mean, you know, a lot of people have been really critical of Manny Diaz's regime. They were, you know, as you know, as you said a couple of minutes ago, they were, they were really good on defense under him. And when Mark Rick was there, they really struggled on offense. Rhett Lashley gave them some form of an identity. Now it was something that was a little different, but they moved the football, you know, and then, you know, a bunch of these kids who are, who I think could have helped them. Now they're, they're going to Dallas and they're going to play at SMU. Um, and I'm sure they'll have more success probably in the AAC than they were in the ACC. But I think it's going to be so important to find out what is this identity going to be, right. you know, and, I don't know the answer to that. And I think until they get that sorted out and established, I think, I think it's, you know, kind of nobody at Miami wants to hear it was a year zero kind of thing. Cause mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, like, but I, I don't know how long the leash is going to be or whatever you want to say. I mean, if you, there's, I would not expect to have 10 years of, you know, like, all right, we're, we're seven close. and six football, right? Or eight, yeah. four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not paying for that or whatever. And I don't think that's Mario's expectations. I know it's not. It's just a matter of like, you know, when his first, the first year that, that they had at Oregon, when he was on Willie Taggart's staff, they had a, some talent and pieces, but not a lot. And they sputtered. And then they got the thing going pretty fast. Now, they didn't, all, you know, they won Pac 12 titles, but they didn't. Um, there was, there was still, it was a lot of three steps forward, one step back. I felt like this year was a lot of one step forward, two steps back on the field. And the question is now, do they flip that? Because, you know, who knows what they're going to be able to land, you know, come spring. I think it's a, it's a harder sell now to land like the equivalent of a Jordan Addison or like that kind of difference maker skill guy coming off of last year than it was when people were talking about Tyler Van Dyke as a first round pick. Absolutely. I don't know who's talking about him as such now. And how many big time receivers did Miami take a flail at last year? Tank Dell. Um, you know, there's like three or four other guys who ended Zay, up not. Zay, Zay Flowers was another one. Zay Flowers from BC. Like I said, Tank Dell from Houston. Those guys would have been by far the best receivers Miami had last year. Um, didn't, come and so there's going to be talent that is going to be looking to be on the move i'm interested you know it doesn't take you don't need five of them but you need somebody that scares defenses yeah. and, and to me that's as important as anything because then you know like i don't know like i i just know from talking to guys on that staff last year when they saw what they saw in the spring it was it was like wow we this should never be this bad yeah I, I agree. I mean, they look, they didn't think they were going to be great, but I also don't think they, they were going to be five and seven. Like nobody in there was like, well, we're not even going to make a bowl game. I think, well, that I think that's like the skill talent was, was, was underwhelming. I think then all of a sudden it was like, it was kind of gutted by some injuries on top yeah. of that. So, right. yeah. All right. I got some mailback questions. I know you, you've been very gracious with your time, but if I could ask you a couple, you yeah. let me know when you got to bounce. Um, all right. This is from David Hernandez. These are these are my uh, my Twitter followers here. What does this say if the DC was hired before the OC? What possible dark horse OC candidate could you see Mario hiring? I don't know that timing matters. It's just kind of right. Yeah, I think it's get this one done. Get get done when you can. I mean, Mario's when I've talked to him was like, hey, we are just trying to find the most qualified candidate for the offensive coordinator job now and. I think what's a little different is usually when you hire a defensive coordinator, you know, it's one thing to be able to bring guys. I feel like with an offensive coordinator, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, does he fit with the O-line coach or whatever? And this was such a weird dynamic because it wasn't like different offensive line coach, but also this was a guy who's not working with quarterbacks. Right. So I think, you know, one of the names that came up last year for the quarterback's job, and ultimately he went with the more senior guy with Ponce, who he had more from, who had worked with before. I mean, was Alex Mortensen, who was really well regarded on the Alabama staff. 
um, and had been an OC briefly at like New Mexico Highlands, a much smaller school, but had basically been the behind the scenes guy at Alabama. Now he's the OC at UAB. Um, in terms of, you know, I think Mortensen, because he and Gaddis worked together at Alabama, at least there was a little more familiarity than, you know, you had the combination with Ponce. I don't know what the combination is going to look like. You know, I mean, you can take a look at guys, you know, who've had a lot of success and put up big numbers. Like I did not think some of the guys who put up some of the biggest stats in the country can be air raid guys. That has not seemed like what I think Mario would ultimately hire. Now, what he defines as an air raid guy, that could be a moving target a little bit. But I definitely think you look at some of these offenses that are really prolific. They're just stuff I don't necessarily think you would see at at UM per se. But, you know, we'll we'll see what he ends up doing here. You uh, this question is from Mark Hutz, uh, Huston on Twitter. You kind of touched on this earlier. Uh, he asked if Gidry's a relentless recruiter and, um, you know, how do how will high level recruits that Mario and Miami go after view a guy who hasn't really coached at the power five level yet? You think that really matters with recruits? I, I honestly don't. I especially with defensive guys. I mean, it's funny just to to, to show the sausage being made. You you do. You, we were on Slack, and you asked me that, and I went to Huff, and I said him, who is his former boss, and Huff is you know one of the better recruiters in the country. At one time, Musla is the best recruiter, and he was like, he's an ace. He mm-hmm. said he got two studs from for them from McNeese State, and he said three or four guys from high school are really good players. He expects them to start for Marshall this year. He goes, he's a really, really good evaluate evaluator. So I would, you know, I, you know, when you first asked me that I was thinking, you know what, they need to get, just get good coordinators. And if they're not good recruiters or not, that's not their forte. So be it. But it turns out, sounds like this guy is, um, you know, again, I think, I think we sometimes get too caught up in who's a good recruiter and who's not. The truth is if you have a good product and look, we know Miami's very active on the NIL front. Um, you know, you have, it can be an attractive place, but it also, until people have a track record on offense, I think that's the part, you know, like people want to go play for Lincoln Riley because they know he's had a, a high level of success as an offensive coach. That's mm-hmm. why Jordan Addison's going. That's why, you know, that's why Caleb followed him. That's why Travis Dye went there, you know? So, um, and that's why they're going to continue to get guys. And I think that's, you know, that stuff didn't happen overnight. This one's interesting. Rusty Sidaris, you, you obviously speak to a lot of coaches. He says, would love to know how Mario is viewed in coaching circles as far as whether he's someone talented people wanted want to work for or not. He's really demanding. Um, I think this is a good question, not to say the other ones aren't, but it's a mm-hmm. little complicated. Yeah. Uh, he's really demanding. Nick Saban is incredibly demanding too. You know, like there are like, here's the thing, like the, you know, I work with Urban Meyer now. Urban Meyer was not an easy guy for people to work with. Right. You know, so like for all the coaches who's like, oh yeah, this guy's a player's coach or whatever, like, you know, some of the some of the best regarded coaches are not easy to work for, right? Nick Saban, definitely from everything I've heard, not easy to work for. Um, You know, Jim Harbaugh, not easy to work for. Urban Meyer was not easy to work for. And so it's not. He's not alone. He's not alone in this. He's not alone. Thank you. But I think the part that, you know, towards his question that I think is, is worth mentioning is Mario's process is kind of notorious in the business of like the hiring process. It is arduous. There's a lot of names involved. There's a lot like it's a little different than that. Does that scare guys off? I mean, it got him, you know, I think Lance Gidry is a really good DC, you know, like there was probably five names. I think you had thrown, you and I had thrown around yeah. two days ago. And if you said to me who probably on paper might be the best of those defensive coordinators, I think it's the guy I ended up hiring. Now, there's one of those names I can think of was probably a more flashy recruiter and probably, you know, has a good track record as a defense coordinator. But I think knowing what Mario thinks of Gidry, I was like, this is a big hire for him. Um, it's all to me, it's a lot more impressive hire than than pulling Kevin Steele out of the Maryland football office last whatever it was January. 
Um, but I, again, I think the demanding part, you know, he's going to grind recruiting. I mean, that is not, that is not easy. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, especially if you're talking to guys who are talking to NFL places, because, you know, whenever I go to the combine, I reconnect with old college coaches who are up there who like a lot of them never want to come back to, to college because the recruiting piece Never mind Mario. The recruiting piece in general is such a pain in the ass for them. Especially with you know, NIL well, nowadays and everything else. Well, then you put that on top of it. But it's yeah. like the part that I had always heard was twofold um, was one, you know, it's summer and you're off for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden now I got to go back to the facility because some recruit is in town for a baseball tournament. And now he's <laughs> taking an unofficial on the campus. Now I got to go there. Right. Or the other thing is like, you don't have to worry about somebody like if your three technique gets into a bar fight in the NFL, it's like, he's going to call his agent. If it happens in college, it's all hands on deck of how do we, you know, how do we handle this or whatever? Um, So I think there's just a lot of stuff that goes into it. That's not unique to Mario, but the the things that are unique are the, are the hiring process itself. And then also what is the staff chemistry like that you're walking into? Like that, I think, because of staff chemistry needs a lot of work right now after a rocky first year. I think that's the thing that like people are going to have to assess on this job, you know, and and only the, you know, look, whoever jumps into it, I think I don't know this for a fact, but I think they're going to know what they're jumping into to some degree. I'll let you go on this one. Uh, This is from Joe Ucane. Do you think Charlie Strong stays on board? I don't know what Charlie Strong's other options are going to be. You know, I mean, if it's. I was going to say, maybe he goes back to Alabama with Steele. I mean, he was there in 2020. I don't know if. He was. I just don't know if you, if you're him, do you want to go back and be an analyst there? Mm-hmm. You know, like just to show a couple more cards here. There's a lot of people who think myself included that Jeremy Pruitt's going to end up back on that staff in some capacity. Saban really respects him. Now he's got some NCAA baggage that they have to sort out probably with the SEC on that. But I think that's, you know, that's another guy who'll go back there. I don't know, you know, what is Charlie's other options going to be? I know he likes Florida. I mean, I know he likes the state of Florida. Right. Um, yeah. He likes living in South Florida. <laughs> he, yeah. he's a so, so I don't know, you know, um, I would tend to think there's going to be some guys that he's going to be able to bring with him, right? I mean, uh, Gidry, he, like he's got to be able to, to to probably replace a couple guys on the staff. Yeah, I mean, look, we we think Jason Taylor, at least I do, is going to probably get bumped up. I heard um, the same thing a little while ago, by the way. So Yeah, yeah and so, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens with – there's guys, you know, like we both know DVD. He's pretty well thought of, and there's uh, some guys who've looked at him. I don't know where he fits into the picture on this. Um, you know, Miami has a few guys in its bullpen who I would say don't fit in necessarily the category of dead weight. Like there's another guy on the offensive side of the ball that I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up. Would you all? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know Mario likes him and and really thinks highly of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he knows what Mario wants and he's going to work the way Mario wants him to work or expects guys to work. And I think that was missing a lot. You know, you can say what you want about the talent deficiencies in certain places. And you and I have talked a lot about it. Um, but then there's the other parts of it, which get into the culture of what you're trying to build, not just what you have, but what you're trying to build. And I think those are things that I'm interested to see how it goes, because, you know, I think it was it was obviously bad on the field. It's like I think he knows he has a lot of work to do off the field, not necessarily recruiting related, but just like, how do I get this thing to right. go the way I want it to go. You know, I would uh, like, cause you know, hot seat talk or anything like that. You said 10 years, you put me on the other extreme. You right. know, I don't think there's anybody in panic mode, right. you know, who is connected to Mario, like in terms of leadership wise, then there might be people who are on the, in the building on staff who are like, yeah, this is not going to work or whatever. But those are people, my guess is who Mario is probably going to need to shove out the door or hope that they leave. 
Um, so it's a weird mix. And I, I think, you know, because Miami fans live it and it's very public, I think you're seeing some of the warts where a lot of times at other places you probably don't see them or there's just not the same spotlight on it. Yeah. Bruce, thanks for coming on and doing this with me. Uh, I got to get you on more frequently. And I know Miami fans love to hear your voice, love to hear your takes. Uh, make sure you you listen to Bruce and Stu on the Audible. It's one of the best podcasts out there. I enjoy it. Listen to it every week when I do my walks in the afternoon. Uh, so thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure, Manny. Talk to you soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Busy day here. We just had Bruce Feldman on. Uh, talking about Miami's latest hire at defensive coordinator uh, in Lance Guidry. And I wanted to bring on somebody who obviously got to know uh, Guidry a little bit when he was uh, at Marshall uh, for the past two seasons, putting together one of the best defenses in college football. And our guest is Luke Creasy, who uh, works for the Herald-Dispatch in Huntington, West Virginia. He's a 2022 West Virginia national uh or NSMA Sports Writer of the Year. I don't call him National Sports of the, Sports Writer <laughs> of the Year. I'm giving you too much credit, brother. But I still, know. I, but still, yeah. State Writer of the Year is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate it, man. Glad, glad to uh, be on. Well, first of all, what what can you just uh, let's talk as people first? Because I, I I see the stats. I can rattle off a bunch of stats, but um, just just what is Lance like as a person? What's he like to cover? I mean, is he is he forthcoming with information? Is he secretive? Is he one of those coaches always worried about somebody's reading my clippings? They're going to take something and, and use it against me in the game plan. What, what just what's he like? Yeah, I, I, just a really fun guy to be around. Um, and if you get him talking about anything Louisiana, um, you're you're going to be there for a while. So um, you know, he takes pride in where he comes from, and takes pride in uh, you know his football abilities. So. Um, you know, the, the access we got to him at Marshall was kind of limited um, as far as in-season goes. Uh, that's just the way Charles Huff runs things. I think it might be an Alabama thing. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, but the interactions that, that we did have with him uh, were always fun. Um, you know, he, uh, he is a great football mind, um, has a really fun defensive system for, for his players and um, you know, is known for for being a recruiter as well, and I don't think you uh, can recruit very well if you're not a very well likable guy in the first place. And so, uh, I, th- I think that speaks a lot to it. Um, but uh, really, uh, you know, re- really high quality character. Um, you know, that th- that's coming to Miami, and you know, they certainly loved him here in Huntington. And uh, a-, a little bit of a surprise to see him move on from Tulane as quickly as uh, as he did. Um, but uh, you know, I-, I think it's a good step for him. Well, certainly money had to have played a role, right? I mean, Miami's uh, one of these power five schools that uh, has a little bit more money to spend maybe than Tulane, who's a private school just like they are, but but not nearly the resources, I think, uh, that Miami has. And I would suspect that probably played a role. And the fact that he gets to go to a power five level, the impression I got, and, and Bruce Feldman was on, like I mentioned with me earlier, uh, you know, here's a guy who probably would have been at the power five level if he didn't have a little bit of history with, with some things that happened to him back in the day. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, Miami giving him that opportunity is, is, is a huge step up uh, to get a chance to really, I think, help his career in the long run. He's only 51 years old. Um, you know, he's a guy who could still be a head coach in a year or two. Do you see that in him? Do you do you think he's a head coach potential? Yeah, I, I certainly think the potential is there. Um, you know, and I mean, he has the head coaching experience. I was mm-hmm. a head coach at McNeese State there for a couple of years and um, you know, and, and then, you know, just the way college football works, um, to, mm-hmm. to climb that ladder, um, it, it's a hard jump to, be, to I, I think, in my opinion, to, to be a uh, head coach at one of the lower levels of college football and then make the jump to a head coach, um, at the division one level. Um, some people have done it and had success with it, but, uh, you know, I, I think by and large, um, you know, you, you got to climb that ladder again. So he sees, uh, you know, an opportunity at Marshall to uh, become the defensive coordinator, um, installs the system, comes in with Charles Huff when he was hired uh, as a former assistant from Alabama and uh, re- really made it his own and uh, had the right players 
Um, you know, had a few transfers that came in and bolstered that defense last year. Um, you know, a couple of them had played for him before at uh, McNeese State, most notably Andre Sands. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who transferred from Marshall to Tulane after Gidry left uh, Marshall for the, uh, for the same school. So um, that's something maybe to keep an eye on for, uh, for Miami um, to see if, uh, um, you know, I- I- any of his former McNeese connections uh, make that, make that jump as well. But, um, you know, certainly uh, a, a talented, uh, a talented guy and has, the, has what it takes to succeed at, at a high level. Yeah. We, we can start going over some of these stats, Uh some of them were really impressive. Uh, number three in the country in yards per play is uh, kind of grabs your attention right away. We have uh, Max Olson does this uh, great statistics during the season uh, stop rate in college football. Often, you know, you, you stop a team, get off the field, um, you know, even in three plays or less, that kind of thing. Number, number two in stop rate. How would you judge the talent Marshall had because obviously people are going to say, well, he put up those numbers against a group of five schools, right? Like he, they did beat yeah. Notre Dame. They did go on the road and win at Notre yeah. Dame. Uh, but how would you judge the overall talent maybe at Marshall? I mean, did he have NFL guys? I mean, was this more of a product of the talent that he had compared to the teams he was facing? Or was this more of, hey, combination of great coaching and some pretty good players? I, I think um, you could say there's there's probably some NFL talent on that side of the ball. Now that's not day one, day two talent. That that might be, um, you know, w- way down in a day three pick. Or you know, I think of a guy like Nazi Johnson, um, who was a seventh round pick by the by the Chiefs last year, um, who, who played in that system um, and, and did well. Uh, it, it's kind of a system where where everybody eats. I'll use that phrase. Um, and, but it starts, I think, with the pressure up front, and, and he had some uh, some dudes up front. Um, for Marshall last year, uh, a couple of them, um, again, had transferred in uh, from Power Five schools. I think of like an Anthony Watts who came from Purdue. Uh, Isaiah Gibson uh, had started his college career at Kentucky, uh, comes in and and really performs well. Um, and so he he puts guys in position where they're going to succeed, and I think that's when you start to see the true talent of a defensive coordinator is when he can come in and, you know, with guys that maybe he didn't recruit, but get the most out of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Lance did that in Huntington and certainly has the potential to do that elsewhere. And, um, you know, w- when you look at um, the, the, just the structure of college football, um, Miami's probably got a lot more pull in the recruiting uh, realm of things than Marshall did. Um, you know, the, the reality of being in a group of five school is, um, if you have success, whether that success transferred in or is NFL talent or, or is just talented, um, you know, if you have success, you're going to move up. Um, and I think that's true uh, for players and coaches alike. So I, I think uh, that's just the natural uh, progression of things for, for Lance. And it's taken him to Miami. And, and I think uh, it sets up well for him again. Uh, Patrick Powers uh, wrote an article for Sports Info Solutions back in the beginning of November. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. Uh, you know, these kind of deep, deep dives to statistical analysis in terms of just what he calls, right? Like what, what, what would you say, you know, Lance calls as far as a, a, a defense? And I, I'm, I'm going to throw some numbers out. I mean, really the whole point of it is their number one goal is to stop the pass. A lot of defensive coordinators, like, well, we, yeah. it all starts with stopping the run. But I guess his philosophy is, no, in today's game, the way teams throw the football, <laughs> yeah. you really got to be good at that first. And I know he's a defensive back, comes from that school of thought. He coached defensive backs for a long time. Uh, I'm going to just throw this one out there. He said, Marshall runs cover one, cover three, and cover four uh, 20% of the time and has the ninth highest variance in terms of coverages called uh, in college football. Um, I mean, really, uh, I mean, you'll, you'll see five defensive backs out there. I think 70% of the time, sometimes it'll be a linebacker. How would you describe what you watched from a simple X's and O's perspective in terms of what he does with coverage? And, and is there anything special or unique that makes him really good at it? I think it just starts with, you know, he does want to defend that pass. Um, and, and that's an important part uh, to this defense. But um, And he does that by bringing pressure up front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he uses, uh, you know, the athleticism of the defensive line to, to kind of complement um, you know, w- what's happening on the back end. Because if you think about it, if you can pressure the quarterback, you're going to force the throw faster. Um, mm-hmm. And you're going to keep that quarterback contained to the pocket. And um, even if he does get outside the pocket, he's got to make a decision. And, um, you know, a lot of times 
quarterbacks aren't going to throw better on the run than they are standing in the pocket. So um, I think it all starts with that pressure up front, but it, it, it relies on the athleticism of the, uh, of the defensive lineman. And I think, uh, you know, w- when you look at the tape, um, a guy like Owen Porter stands out for Marshall, um, who uh, was a little bit undersized when he came into college. Um, he, he was a fifth-year senior last year. Um, and, you know, Guidry, I, I think, got the most out of him versus anybody who had, who had uh, you know, coached Owen before. Um, kind of saw him come alive late in the uh, New Orleans Bowl at the end of the 2021 season. And then he just continued that success. Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably, you know, a prime candidate for that defense is, is a, a smaller um, but strong athletic defensive lineman. And then on the back end, you just have to have guys that can fly to the ball. Um, and, you know, speed is a big part of it. Uh, I, I can't think of many times when Marshall was – um, was any slower than than the offenses they were facing, um, but but the one thing I will say um, that that came uh, to light at times was uh, defending the deep ball. Um, sometimes um, receivers had a tendency, or, or, uh, receivers had a tendency to get past that defense. Um, you know when they were applying some of that pressure, and I think you, you can see that across uh, across football when you're so um, key on bringing pressure. Um, sometimes that the backside of that defense can can be the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think b- because of the aggressive nature of, of how he calls games, I think that was exploited a little bit. But, right. um, you know, I, I can think of several times when they gave up a big play, but the opponent didn't score on that drive because they buckled down late. Um, or, or, you know, th- they make a big pa- – I think Troy um, had a couple uh, passes of 50-plus yards um, when, when Marshall traveled down there last year. Um, but they didn't score an offensive touchdown the entire game. And wow. so, um, you know, it, it's kind of a bend but don't break. He, he's going he's gonna to take that risk of, okay, can we make the big play? We might give up a big play, but we're going to buckle down after that and, and keep things manageable. So I, I think it, it's a very aggressive style of defense, and it's fun to watch. Um, I think probably the, you know, the Marshall defense was a lot more fun to watch than the offense at times this year. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, that there's a variety of factors to that, of course. But, right. um, you know, a lot of that had to do with the play call. Um, this is another interesting stat because somebody mentioned to this to, mentioned this to me on Twitter when I was asking for mailbag questions. But they said the herd play with only two down linemen 69 percent of the time, the third highest rate in football. I mean, mm-hmm. most people think you got to have at least three down linemen. Right. Or if not yeah. four, um, how how does that affect run defense? And how effective is, you know, maybe just playing two down linemen, letting guys pass rush? How, how does that sort of just a big maybe trademark of his defense? Yeah, I, I think it starts with the, with versatility as well. Um, mm-hmm. You're not recruiting a defensive lineman just to play on the line. You're not, you know, you're not recruiting a linebacker just to hang back in the middle of the defense. You know, um, right. Kobe Cumberlander was one of the linebackers uh, for, for Marshall last year, and, and he was one of those. That, that played on the D line, um, but, but didn't get down. And so, um, you know, that, that creates a kind of a whole other layer to that run defense because, um, you know, you don't have guys that are just going to plow forward no matter what happens. You've got spies, for lack of a better term, um, who, who are going to hang back and plug some of those other gaps um, that, that uh, you know, come – uh, it, from run blocking schemes. And so um, I, I think it, it, it that was probably the, you know, played m- mostly in favor of Marshall um, last year, it, even, um, you know, just having two down linemen a lot of the time. Um, th- they were aware enough to, to be able to make the play and smart enough to commit uh, one way or the other when they kind of had a sense of what was coming. And, and, of course, you know, Marshall's philosophy is, you know, get them in third and long. And then they have to throw. <laughs> so you right. take away the run game. Right. Um, and again, that goes back to the pressure he created. But um, you know, just a very um, a fun system to watch. And the versatility up front is huge. And Marshall's run defense showed um, how that success can translate from, you know, no matter if they're playing run or pass. You know, a couple times, like I said, they were exploited. Um, but they always rebounded. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think there's something to, you know, something would be said for that. You know, Coastal Carolina, let's go back to another example of uh, Marshall came out, got punched in the mouth early. Uh, Coastal Carolina went up 21 nothing in the first quarter and finished the game with 24 points. 
Wow. You know, they, they scored touchdowns on their first three possessions and then only had a field goal to show for it the rest of the way. And I think it was after those first three drives, and maybe they gave up 70 or 80 yards of total offense uh, once they kind of got with it. Um, so uh, it, it, it's hard to make adjustments to for the offenses who, who are seeing that. And I think that's why they had the success they did. Um, you know, you mentioned that Notre Dame win. That was huge. Um, Notre Dame had a lot of trouble um, moving the ball consistently. And it's because uh, of, of the different looks they were able to create um, by not having to commit, you know, three to four down linemen and being able to play extra defensive backs and bring pressure uh, in different ways from, from any level of the defense. I'm stealing this from the, uh, from the story from Sports Info Solutions, but I guess it said the herd had the seventh highest average of men in the box, 6.73. So really, I mean, sometimes, like you said, they put those corners on an island, right? I mean, they kind of... Yeah. And that's why they yep. give up the big plays. But, uh, you know, they, they do sort of defend the run, but at the same time, the focus is the pass. So it's it's a very unique defense, I think, in that yeah. sense. A lot of two-down linemen. It's something that maybe Miami fans, you know, if they want to go back and watch the film, who was somebody who really hurt them? Is there a team? I mean, obviously they lost four games. But I'm curious, is there somebody who had a lot of success against them and why? It's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think um, – and this is going to sound crazy, Bowling Green. Okay. Um, you know, it, it was – I think there was a little bit of a Notre Dame hangover uh, going into that one. But but Notre Dame found a way. Um, they put up 31 points. I think it was 34-31 was the final, 31 points in regulation. Mm-hmm. And then um, – I, I, I might be getting it wrong. Don't quote me. It's been a while since I looked at that box score. Um But, uh, you know, I, I, I think they found a way to, to dink and dunk around the pressure. And, um, you know, and and two of the biggest plays in that game, um, you know, as far as defense or as far as offensively goes, um, you know, came in the late stages. Um, You know, Marshall's trying to uh, to bring that aggressive approach um, and and bring a blitz on fourth down, maybe. um, And and then they got burned over the top. And so uh, I think because of what uh, Bowling Green did early on, which was. You know, they established the run one, um, two, they were able to hit some passes and uh, work their way back into a game after going down by two touchdowns early. Um, I, I think that that slow and steady approach um, is something that not a lot of people did after that. Um, because I, 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 you know, you mentioned they lost four games, but I can't think of a time when they were ever out of a game. Right. Um, I, I thought Coastal Carolina was going to get there and then it never did. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, you know, the, the Chanticleers came out and scored three touchdowns right off the bat. But, um, you know, and they were in that Bowling Green game the whole way. But, but to that point, um, now granted, that was only the third game of the year. But I think that was the first time anybody had moved the ball well and consistently against the herd. And um, and Marshall didn't have answers for it at that point. And so, um, I, I, I don't know if Bowling Green's the model you want to go off, but um, you know, certainly worked, uh, you know, what the Falcons were doing there. But um, Troy was able to exploit them downfield uh, with some of their uh, speed guys on the receivers, um, but, but weren't able to score touchdowns. And so um, Louisiana did a good job. Um, they didn't have a run game, and it, it was all pass. And, um, and, but they were still able to find a way to exploit the back end. And I think the, the more – you can exploit that back end, um, the better off uh, an offense is going to be against a Gidry defense. But um, the, 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 the thing is, it doesn't happen that often. Right. Uh, There's not many you know, teams that have those elite speed receivers that are, yeah. I mean, and I guess it's really, I mean, you, you got to have good cornerbacks. And that seems like the one position going into the season for Miami that you say, man, they got to replace two starters. They lost Tyreek Stevenson. They lost DJ Ivy. Not that those guys didn't give up big plays last year, but yeah. You need some young guys, some some newcomers to come along and help. They did go out and pick up a transfer from UCF and Devontae Brown. So uh, from Miami's perspective, that's kind of the uh, the area where they'll be challenged. I was looking at the stats now that in front of me for Marshall. Only one game where they gave up more than 400 yards of offense. That was a loss to Troy. Um, and they had several other games where they gave up fewer than 300. I mean, Appalachian State sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, especially for me covering the ACC, seeing that shootout between App State and North Carolina where there was seemingly no defense played, and they held them uh, to 293 yards of total offense. Old Dominion, 209. Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech. 
uh, won that game 12 nothing. So seems to me like when these guys are on, they can really dominate some 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 opponents. I mean, the way that he calls games. Yeah, they can. And I, I think, um, you know, their defense was a reason they won nine games this year. Um, you know, I, I think without as dominant a performance as they had um, really from from week one to you know, to the bowl game, um, M- Marshall might win seven games. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, you know, they, they were definitely the deciding factor in, um, you know, in a lot of those ball games. And um, it's certainly uh, fun to watch. And uh, I think Marshall's going to miss Gidry a lot. Um, still haven't named his replacement. Um, I guess that, that that announcement could be coming soon, but, um, you know, but uh, de- definitely going to miss him uh, here in Huntington is the herd. But, uh, you know, again, Miami got a good one. Luke, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, best of luck to you in, uh, in the season coming up and all your coverage uh, over there for the paper. All right. Appreciate it, man. Take care, man.